Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me, as always, is your other co-host, John. John, how are you doing this evening? Doing all right, man. Looking forward to doing another Big Ten preview pod. Uh, for everyone listening, if you want to find We Live for Saturday, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. You can also find us on Twitter at We Live for B1G Sat. That's at We Live for B1G Sat. Uh, we would also love it if you would want to email us. Um, we're looking for future may- um, we're looking for questions for future mailbag episodes, and you could email us at we live for Saturday b1g at gmail.com. That's we live for Saturday b1g at gmail.com. Or you could also shoot us some questions uh, on our Twitter account. Awesome. All right, John. Well, we have a we have five games to preview, but before we get into it. Um, we should address the Michigan situation at least briefly. Yeah. So folks, just so you know, we're not going to go super in depth tonight. We haven't had the time to really prepare this for you the way we'd want. So we are going to do at some time in the near ish future, we will do a Michigan specific pod to discuss this situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it, it deserves that attention um just to give our own individual pod um you know it probably won't be incredibly long but we want to make sure that we're touching all the right points and that we uh have as much um you know facts and uh you know quotes and information that we can possibly gather to give you as accurate of a summarization as we can yes that said there was a washington post article that came out today uh discussing michigan staffer connor stallions who has um, who is allegedly either attending some of these games or else engaging other people to attend uh, the games of future Michigan opponents. So that is what is alleged. We don't know for sure what's happened yet. And I just want to be clear that these are all allegations at this point. We don't want to jump the gun and get too far into it. Yeah. Um, but this is what the Washington Post said today in their article um, about the situation. Quote, The opponents targeted the most on this schedule, these people said, were not surprising. Atop the list was Ohio State, Michigan's top rival in the Big Ten, and scouts planned to attend as many as eight games, costing more than $3,000 in travel and tickets. Next on the list was Georgia, a potential Michigan opponent in the college football playoff, with four or five games scheduled for in-person scouting and video recording, also costing more than $3,000 in travel and tickets. In total, these people said, Michigan's sign-stealing operation expected to spend more than $15,000 this season, sending scouts to more than 40 games played by 10 opponents. According to the university's public salary disclosure record, Stallions, listed as an administrative specialist in the athletics department, made $55,000 in 2022. Um, So these are really serious allegations. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the allegations are that Michigan was scouting future opponents, which has been illegal since 1994 and was stealing their signs and recording, you know, was video recording what was going on in the field. And then later using that video, those video recordings to figure out which plays matched up with which signals essentially. Yeah. Um, obviously if that's true, that's a very serious allegation because you know, it, if one team is playing offense and the defense knows all the plays, then the defenders can tee off 
on that offense on every snap. So it's one thing to steal signs in game. People have always done that. That's something that happens. And usually once you realize your signs are stolen, you can do something about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're going to multiple games, then you're seeing all the different iterations of how they're calling, you know, their offense, the, how the other team is calling their offense. And that's, that's something that are, those are, these are serious allegations, John. That's what I'll say. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, for, for, you know, this doesn't only just hurt, hurt Michigan if they are true. Um, Obviously it's hurting, hurting them um, either way, I think, uh, as far as, you know, their, their image and it could potentially, um, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about uh, whether or not Harbaugh is going to come back and coach next year. And I think there's a lot of speculation that he's not going to, I mean, there was already that, you know, him leaving for the NFL, but this might solidify that um, at this point. Uh, He's just embroiled in too much controversy. And so, you know, uh, that sucks um, for Michigan, but it also kind of sucks as far as just, you know, the representation of the Big Ten as a whole. Um, this is a team that potentially could go and win it all this year um, and has the talent to do so. So if Spice, for some reason, um, that is not that won't happen, uh, whether it causes issues on the field, in the locker room, off the field, what have you, that will be also a black mark against the Big Ten, and that will hurt everyone in um, the entire conference. Now, I also find it interesting um, that, you know, all of these scandals this year, and really, you know, in a lot of recent years, continue to happen within the Big Ten. And for some reason, um, <clears throat> the rest of college football and the other conferences seem to be immune to such things. And I find that very interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I just I guess I just don't believe that um, there aren't also other shady things or shadier things going on in other conferences. <coughs> SEC. But, um, <laughs> you know, that's that's my just my opinion. Just my thought. Had to throw that in there. All right, John. John is on the record getting spicy at the beginning of the podcast. You love to see it. Yeah. <laughs> getting aggressive right off the bat. Awesome. All right. Um, that said, John, anything else you want to address before we get into previewing these games? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not at this time. I think I'm ready to just roll on into this. Um, you know, we'll address uh, some other things going on. I think once we get up to get up to one of the games that we're talking about. Um, and, uh, we'll talk about some other things very briefly, but we will make some other clarifications. All right, then let's get on to the preview. We have the two and five Indiana Hoosiers heading to state college to visit the number 10 ranked six and one Penn state Nittany lions. This is an 11 AM game on CBS. The line is Penn state by 32. Total yards, IU's averaging 312 to Penn State's 400. Yards allowed, IU's allowing 366 to Penn State's 218. Penn State allowing just 73 rushing yards per game still, which is really impressive, I think. IU QB Brennan Sorsby has 420 yards passing on 51% completions, 4.8 yards per attempt, 3 TDs, and 0 picks. IU doesn't run the ball well, but Jalen Lucas is dangerous as a runner and receiver. They line him up a lot of different places and attack you that way. Uh, Cam Camper, Donovan McCulley, Jalen Lucas are the top targets for Soresby. 
And on defense, Aaron Casey's having a nice year at linebacker with 40 tackles and three sacks. For Penn State, QB Drew Aller is coming off Aller is coming off a subpar performance against Ohio State, going just 18 for 42. That said, he's been very good overall with 1,445 yards, 61% completions, 6.5 yards per attempt, 13 TDs, and zero picks. It's amazing that he still hasn't thrown a pick yet. You got to give him credit for that. But he's definitely trying to bounce back after after a rough outing against that vaunted Buckeye defense. Uh, Nick Singleton and Catron Allen lead a formidable Penn State running attack, which was shut down by the Buckeyes last week. Singleton had some success, but didn't get enough touches. Singleton has been better than Allen against the tougher competition. The thing with Singleton last week against Ohio State was frustrating. He had some success. I think he was averaging 5.3 yards a carry, and he only got nine carries. So... I definitely want to see him get more carries this week, so that'll be something to track. At wide receiver, Keandre Lambert-Smith has been the star for Penn State with 454 yards receiving. Uh, that said, he was more or less shut down last week against Ohio State as well. The other receivers of note are wide receiver Harrison Wallace and tight ends Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. And on defense, senior D-end Adisa Isaac leads Penn State's fierce pass rush with five and a half sacks. John, with IU, I feel like we ask the same questions every week, and I'm just going to lead off with that, and we can go from we can kind of go from there. Yeah, how are they going to move the ball? Can they score points? Because IU's run game has been rough, and in the passing game, Soresby is completing just 51 percent of his passes, and that's not good enough, especially considering the struggles in the running game. Yeah, Soresby needs to play a little better, and his O line needs to protect for him better. So, John, how are you seeing this game shape up? Yeah, I do feel like uh, <clears throat> like we're on repeat um, when it comes to Indiana, and I and I, I feel bad. I wish there was more I could say or elaborate on, um, but the reality is uh, this team is just really not doing well, and unfortunately, their competition this week is just brutal. Um, I know Penn State looked a little out of sync last week against an incredibly talented Ohio State, but like this now you're facing off against uh now Penn State will be facing off a, a an inferior opponent and and if they looked as good as they did against Ohio State at times especially that defense I just do not see how Indiana is going to be able to move the ball at all I I just don't see it and and I mean Indiana has shown some flashes defensively as you know being okay and obviously what they did early on in the season but that was early in the season yeah when they played Ohio State um, Penn state is rolling now, you know, they, they look great. They still are a machine and they, they are methodical and they're effective. So I unfortunately just do not see Indiana being able to put up, put up much of a fight. I think Penn state is going to be able to like work on some things this week. Um, I think they're going to reestablish that running game. I think they're going to continue to work on their passing game. Maybe see if they can find some, some more, uh, deep threats, um, cause they'll be able to probably do it against this team. Um, but unfortunately for Indiana, I mean, you just got to try to scheme up something and be as creative as possible and, and see what happens, man. You know, I don't know what else to say. I I feel horrible. And I think Tom Allen, you know, like I think I've already said before, he's just, I think he's just coaching for his job at this point. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think it's it's tough this week. Penn State has an absolutely elite defense. Yards are going to be difficult to come by probably for IU. 
The fact that IU cannot run the ball means that this Penn State pass rush is likely likely to have a lot of second and third and longs in which their pass rush can attack IU's O-line. And while Bob Bostad is a great O-line coach, this is year one for him, and this isn't one of his vintage units. Yep. Um, This is a team that can be pushed around on both sides of the ball in IU, and I expect Penn State to do just that. Yeah. John, are you ready for something that I don't do very often? Yeah. I'm going to apologize. Oh. And I'm going to apologize. Yeah. It's, It's a big thing for me. Uh, I'm going to apologize <laughs> to Penn State defensive coordinator Manny Diaz because I oh. have not been a Manny Diaz believer. He was a failure as head coach at Penn State. or at, Sorry, not at Penn State, at Miami. Um, as defensive coordinator, his teams were really up and down. In some of his previous stops, some of his defenses have been really up and down. I thought he blitzed too much and got burned a lot on big plays because he blitzed too much. And so when Penn State hired Manny Diaz, I thought to myself, James Franklin, ha, what an absolute joke that he's going to bring back Manny Diaz only to find out that he can't do it, that he can't get the job done. Well, I was wrong. Manny Diaz is getting the job done. Yes, he is. (laughs) This defense is fantastic. It's, 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 and, and they don't blitz too much anymore. You know, he used to do that and I feel like put, you know, himself in danger of getting burned on big plays all the time. And I feel like at some point he's shifted that and he doesn't take as many chances as he used to. Maybe because his defense is so good that he doesn't have to take as many chances as he used to. Yeah. But regardless, it's his defense. He deserves credit. So Manny Diaz, I was wrong. I was wrong. Well, that was very big of you, Mike. Yeah. You know, I do what I can. All right. John, should we pick this or anything else you want to say about this game? Yeah, let's pick this. Okay. I have got the Penn State Nittany Lions 41, the Indiana Hoosiers 7. So I think Penn State does cover the spread. Um, I think Indiana finds a drive at some point, but I think it's probably just the one drive. (sighs) Well... I have because I think Penn State is going to be motivated. Yep. Um, they know who their next opponent is after coming off against a, a game against Ohio State, and they know what they got. Um, and I think that this is going to be a higher scoring game. I think it's going to be Penn State forty nine, Indiana six. All right, sounds good. Moving on to our next game, we have the 5 and 2 Maryland Terrapins visiting Evanston to take on the 3 and 4 Northwestern Wildcats. This is an 11 a.m. game on the Big 10 network. The line is Maryland negative 13 and a half. Maryland is 5 and 2, but the Terrapins are coming off two straight losses and are looking to get back on track after a bye week to get refocused. Total yards, Maryland averages 422 to Northwestern's 299. Yards allowed, Maryland's allowing 337 to Northwestern's 345. Terps QB Leah Tugavailoa has nearly 2,000 yards passing on 64% completions and 7.7 yards per attempt, 16 TDs and five picks. So he continues to have, he's had a, you know, a couple down moments, but overall been a really strong year from Leah. Roman Hemby's the top running back at 414 yards for the year on just under five yards per rush and four TDs. 
The wide receivers, Jones, Prather, Felton, and the tight end, Deitches, are Maryland's key receiving options. And Terps linebacker, Ruben Hippolyte, leads Maryland with 27 solo tackles. Northwestern QB Ben Bryant has been out with an injury, and in his place, Brendan Sullivan is completing 61% of his passes for 6.5 yards per attempt, three TDs, and two picks. Whoever plays QB for Northwestern will have to be prolific this week as Maryland scores a lot of points, and it'll take good offensive play to keep up. Northwestern has no running game, but Cam Porter is a decent back. Cats have run blocking problems. And in the passing game, Kurtz, Johnson, and Henning are the top targets. Henning tends to catch short passes and try to make somebody miss, while Kurtz and Johnson are featured on medium and longer routes. On defense, linebacker Xander Mueller leads the Cats with 25 solo tackles. John, Northwestern's been feisty, and I expect this to be a close first half. I think the Cats will scheme some guys open and score early in this game, particularly if Ben Bryant is back at QB. Um, But Maryland, man, they, they... they're tough. What are you thinking about this game? Well, I did look up uh, before this that that Ben Bryant will not be he will not be back. Um, okay, he's not expected to be back. I, yeah. I'm not sure again if there's like anything official official, but I think that's pretty much pretty much uh, decided at this point <clears throat> that he won't be there this week. But you know, Brandon Sullivan hasn't looked terrible. Um, you know, he hasn't been fantastic at times, but he's he's definitely thrown together some drives, and he, he's definitely got the threat with his legs. Um, and so, you know, I think what I want to see out of Northwestern in this game, because we know what, we know what Maryland with Talia and offensively what they're capable of doing. And it, cause we've seen it. And when they're, when they're, you know, hitting their marks, they're fantastic. They look unstoppable sometimes, <clears throat> but what I want to see with Northwestern is a little bit of what you saw with flashes against, against Nebraska. You know, they, they looked like they could threaten. They, they could have won that game. There was, it was possible. Um, their offense definitely had some good, had some good drives. They were able to get, uh, score some points. And I saw Brandon, Brendan Sullivan look pretty good. And then, you know what I also, but again, their problem is, is not having really much of a run game. That's what I, I they're kind of lacking still. And so that's hard to balance that out. Uh, but they scream in, or they, they scheme in Sullivan on some of these, you know, um, quarterback design runs. Um, which tends to help them out a little bit there, uh, but defensively they look pretty good against Nebraska. I mean, coming up with with you know, multiple turnovers, um, and if they can continue to move in that trajectory, you know, this could be a closer game. I still think Maryland has the edge as far as just you know flat out talent um, and their ability to just score points. Um, it's going to be hard for Northwestern to keep up, but I think it could be interesting. I agree. I think the first half. Um, could be kind of close. Uh, you know, Maryland might get a little bit of a scare. Um, but, you know, I think Maryland, with uh, with how many weapons they have on that field, they'll be able to pull away at some point in the second half. Yeah, it's amazing what David Braun is doing at Northwestern. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a borderline miracle. They're as competitive as they are. And, you know, what he's done as an interim head coach is just... I mean, it should not, we should, we should not be selling him short because they, no. you know, the cats were predicted to go like, you know, one and 11, two and 10 this year. Yep. And they've exceeded that even though they lost their head coach. Yep. So that's really impressive. I agree, man. Northwestern's defense is getting better and is getting, is getting feist, a little feisty. Um, yeah, I, I like, I, I think the cats make this, like I said, I think the, I think the cats make this close in the first half. Um, but ultimately 
I think Maryland's just got too much talent at the skill positions. Yeah, too much firepower for Northwestern to keep up for four quarters. Because unless there's a huge breakdown defensively for Maryland, I don't see how Northwestern can keep up enough to win this game. But teams do have defensive breakdowns all the time, so it's not impossible. And Maryland, you know, has been trending the wrong direction lately. Yeah. So if they come out a little sleepy off the bye, um, you know, and Northwestern can get a lead, you know, maybe this is interesting. Yeah, no, I agree, man. You know, we got to see if uh, Locks will have them geared up and ready to go. Uh, obviously, there's got to be a huge letdown after their last game against Illinois. And so I got to believe he will. Um, but still, you just cannot count out this Northwestern team. Not right now. I, I just, you're seeing too much. They continue to improve. Um, like I said, and like we both said, I guess, um, is that right now, I think it's just more of a, a disparity between talent. Yeah. All right. Should we pick it? Yeah. I have got the Maryland Terrapins 31, the Northwestern Wildcats 14. Okay. I have the Maryland Terrapins 35 and Northwestern 17. All right. Pretty similar scores there. Yeah. Cool. Moving on to the next game, we've got the two and five Purdue Boilermakers heading to Memorial Stadium in Lincoln to take on the four and three Nebraska Cornhuskers. Don't look now, folks. Nebraska's four and three. It happened. <laughs> I didn't see. I didn't see it coming either. Uh-uh. But here they are. So good for Matt Rule. Absolutely. Yep. This is a two thirty p.m. game on FS1. The line is Nebraska negative two and a half. Total yards, Purdue is averaging 371, Nebraska's 329 yards allowed. Purdue is giving up 395 yards, John, while Nebraska's giving up 314. Uh, Purdue's been mercurial. The last three games, they beat Illinois badly, turned around and lost to Iowa before getting eviscerated by Ohio State. So I'm just not quite sure what team you're getting with Purdue from week to week or even quarter to quarter. They're a bit tough to project that way, and they definitely play like a team in year one of a rebuild in the sense that all the consistency and things like that isn't there yet. Uh, But they can be really dangerous, too. Purdue QB Hudson Card has 1,617 yards passing on 61% completions, 6.6 yards per attempt, 7 TDs, but 5 picks. Devin Mockaby continues to be Purdue's starting running back with a lion's share of the carries. Tyrone Tracy continues to get fewer carries than Mockaby, despite the fact that Tracy is more productive at 5.9 yards per rush to Mockaby's 4.6. I am done trying to figure out why this is the way it is. I have just decided to accept it and I've noted it again and we'll move on from there. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, for Purdue tight end, Max Claire and wide receiver Sheffield and Yassine are solid options for card, but wide receiver Dion Burks is the star and the one defenses always have to account for on D linebacker. Kydren Jenkins is having a good year with five sacks and 21 solo tackles, uh, for Nebraska Heinrich Harbor completes just 51% of his passes, but he's a threat with his legs as he leads the Huskers with 424 yards rushing on five yards per rush. With injuries decimating the backfield, Emmett Johnson stepped up last game with 73 yards on 6.1 yards per rush. More importantly, he got twice as many touches as Anthony Grant, who seems to always be in the coach's doghouse, no matter who the coach is. Uh, Johnson appears to be your RB1 going forward. 
with Marching Marcus Washington out for the year, wide receiver Billy Kemp and Thomas Fid- and and tight end Thomas Fedoni are the remaining targets for Harburg. But the Huskers run the ball a ton, so their receivers are used sparingly. On defense, DB Omar Brown is having a good senior year. Uh, Purdue can move the ball and have the playmakers to stress this Nebraska D. However, Nebraska hasn't let anybody besides Michigan run the ball on them all year. So, John, how do you see this one? How do you see this one stacking up? Well, I could, you know, I could see this actually being a pretty, a fairly close game um, early on. Um, my only thing here where I see an edge is the fact, and I've, I've said this before, is, is Nebraska's got a solid identity. Mar- uh, Rule has made sure that, you know, this is who we are. This is what we're going to run. This is how we're going to do it. And we're going to do it well. And they continue to do so. Um, and defensively, they are stout. And I think that uh, I I just really think Purdue, as much as they I know they can move the ball from time to time when they're in sync. Um, unfortunately, they still have turnover issues. And and that's really tough. And, and Hudson Card has nobody to block for him. He is running know, for his life out there all the time. And I just against this Nebraska defense, I think that's going to continue to be a problem. So. You know, unless something changes drastically with Purdue's offense, I just don't see them. I think they're going to get worn down by this defense and by this offense, you know, who continues to have success running the ball and they just throw it at you. They just continue to pound it at you and they and they eventually find their way, you know, and with just enough of a passing game from time to time. So I I just I think this defense for Nebraska is going to carry them to a win. Um, I don't think, you know, I think maybe. Purdue will be able to score, you know, maybe a couple times, but I don't think it's going to be enough. I think uh, Nebraska's defense will shut them down, and it's just going to be another day of uh, of Card just running for his life. Yeah, I have a really hard time believing Purdue will be able to run the ball from the running back position, and that's just going to put a lot of pressure on Hudson Card, who's going to be facing those long yardage passing situations. Card has to find a way to be efficient and avoid turnovers if you know they're going to have a shot in this game. This is kind of a strength against strength, weakness against weakness kind of game in Purdue's offense, Nebraska's defense, the strengths, and then Purdue's defense, Nebraska's offense, the weaknesses. And I just think out of those four units, I think Nebraska's defense is the best one by by a significant margin. Yeah, I agree. And I think that even though the Nebraska offense isn't great, I think they're going to have a lot of opportunities because of how well the defense is going to play. I think the defense is going to put them in good situations win the field position battle, force turnovers, stuff like that. Um, so even though I do think Purdue will move the ball some, ultimately, you know, Nebraska's D is just, I think is just too much in this one. I agree. You know, the only thing that I could see is if somehow uh, Purdue's defense can find a way to, you know, force Harburg to to beat them through the air. Um, yes. I, I think that's going to be a, a, a tall task, but if they can somehow figure that out, that they might have a chance. That's um, the way to beat Nebraska for sure. Yeah. Is to make them throw the ball. Exactly. So maybe if they could, if uh, Ryan Walters can do something like that and figure that out, you know, there's a shot that Purdue could, could, uh, could win this. And, and as long as, you know, card is able to protect the ball and maybe get, you know, some short passes and, and be able to dink and dunk down the field since he won't have a lot of time in the pocket. Um, you know, it, it could happen. You know, we'll see. I do think this might be, a pretty good game um, throughout the first half. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe through most, yeah, maybe through most of it, all, all four quarters. But I, I think do it'll think, be close throughout. Yeah, yeah. I, but I do think that Nebraska, you know, might be able to just 
have a little bit more uh, endurance, I guess, and be able to wear them down. I think it's going to be a close game, but I think you're going to feel like Nebraska is the better team while you're watching it, just because I don't yeah. think the Purdue offense, I think, I think Purdue will probably get some stuff in the first half. And then after halftime, I think Nebraska just shuts the door defensively and shuts them down. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Think. So what are you, what are you picking in this game? Well, I've got Nebraska 24, Purdue 17. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you've got, you think there's going to be a little bit of scoring in this one? I think there is, but I think it's just going to, it's going to be hard fought. Um, I do think that they're, the Nebraska is going to be able to get that field position. So they're going to be able to get a little bit more, uh, get maybe an extra touchdown that, you know, they otherwise may not have gotten if they had to actually uh, drive the whole length of the field. Um, and maybe a pick, you know, maybe a turnover or two. So that's kind of where I think that might be coming from as far as Nebraska goes. But sure. I do think I agree. I do think Purdue's going to be able to move the ball and and get it in the end zone maybe a couple times. Interesting. Yeah, I see a little differently. I think it's going to be a little more of a defensive struggle. I think the Nebraska D is going to set the tone, but um, I don't. I just uh, I just think it's too Hudson Card's going to be after a while. He's going to just going to be running for his life. So I've got Nebraska 17, Purdue 10. OK. All right. Awesome. Great. All right. Moving on to the next game. We have the Michigan State Spartans traveling to Dinkytown to take on the Minnesota Golden Gophers. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on the Big Ten Network. The line is Minnesota negative seven. Michigan State got crushed 49-0 by Michigan on Saturday and have lost their last five games. Minnesota got crushed by Michigan two games ago, but is coming off a big road rivalry win over Iowa. Total yards, Sparty averages 325 to Minnesota's 303. Yards allowed, Michigan State gives up 354 to Minnesota's 338. Sparty QB Caden Hauser is completing 58% of his passes for 5.9 yards per attempt, two TDs and two picks since he took over the starting job from Noah Kim a few weeks ago. Nathan Carter leads Michigan State in rushing with 565 yards rushing on 4.3 yards per rush and four TDs. Jalen Berger was a capable backup, but unfortunately he is out for the year with an injury. So I'm not sure who steps into that number two running back role for Michigan State without Berger. Um, wide receivers, Montori Foster, Trey Mosley, and tight end Malik Carr, the top targets for Michigan State. For Minnesota, QB Ethan Kaliak Manis is completing just 53% of his passes after an extremely windy day in Iowa City did little to help his statistics. His wide receivers have dropped a lot of balls, that should must be said, but he's also had accuracy issues as well, um, particularly on crossing routes and deep routes. Uh, Darius Taylor leads Minnesota with 591 yards rushing on 5.7 yards per rush. The problem, though, is he didn't finish the Iowa game due to injury. Likewise, that backup Zach Evans didn't finish the Iowa game due to injury. Third down back Bryce Williams is out for the year with an injury. So Minnesota is potentially down to one scholarship running back uh, in Sean Tyler, who averages just uh, just four yards per rush. Minnesota may have to give carries to backups uh, such as w- former walk-on turn scholarship guy, Jordan Newbin, who star safety, Tyler Newbin's little brother. Um, John, Minnesota needs to get healthy at running back in a hurry. 
Daniel Jackson's a legit number one receiver for the Golden Gophers. He's really good. Corey Crooms is Minnesota's other top option, but he has struggled with drops of late and needs to turn it around fast. Uh, likewise, tight end Brevin Spanford really needs to get needs to get over his drops as soon as possible. And on D, safety Tyler Newbins having an all-conference kind of senior year. He's got 19 solo tackles, a sack, three interceptions, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. John, Newbin is absolutely filling up the stat sheet as a senior. Yeah, he's incredible. I mean, just what a player he is. Yeah. It's, really, it's really fun to watch him go every week. Um, John, how are you seeing this game? Well... For me, what this is gonna, what I I'm nervous about um, as a Gopher fan here is is coming off of you know is this are they going to be hungover from last week? You know, last sure. week was such an emotional game. Um, you know, as we saw, uh, lots of ups and downs. There was a lot of issues. You know, obviously we talked about in the last podcast of that I have with Minnesota, um, but you know they did win the game um, and they won it. And that's the way it is. And it was not stolen. I know that's still a thing that is out there. And, you know, Boy, is, all these days later, John. Yeah. All these days later, it's still <laughs> be bl- blowing up. And I just, you know, the fact is the it's it's all out there. It's the truth. It's the reality. And frankly, I think it's just a, a deflection and a distraction that was set by uh, Iowa's head coach um, just to, you know, deter people from actually looking at what the real issues are. And I know I've been told, well, we know what the real issues are, Iowa fans. I've heard that. But that's yet that's not what you're talking about or focusing on. Um, you're talking about one singular play out of an entire game, entire all four quarters. And this is the thing that you're focusing on, which it was the correct call. So let's just reiterate that and make that you know very crystal clear that Minnesota did win that game. That was the correct call. The pig was not stolen. Kirk Ferentz, do better. Yeah, it's really disappointing, John, that the head coach of Iowa would, knowing that it clearly was an invalid fair catch signal, um, that that's that's clearly what it was. It's a common foul in football. It's It's called it's a penalty that's called plenty of times. Minnesota had it called against them earlier this year. So it's it's nothing new. And for him to pretend like Iowa got jobbed in some way has impacted the fan base and the media and the Iowa, the Iowa fan base and even some members of the Iowa media, which blows my mind, are still litigating this, even though they don't have a leg to stand on. And it's just honestly, it's all gotten it's all gotten a little sad at this point. It was a game. It's over. It was the ref. The officiating was called correctly for on that play. Um, there were bad calls on both sides. It wasn't like a great officiating job or anything, but it was a game. The Gophers played better. were the better team on that day. They deserved to win. Absolutely. And, you know, and for everyone who says, you know, well, that the, you know, DeGene, uh, you know, that shouldn't have, or he, it shouldn't have been called back or whatever. You know, the fact is like that, that punt never should have happened for two different reasons. There was the initial penalty that was missed on Iowa during that punt. And then also, you know, obviously, then there's the 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 call that that ensued afterwards. And so, in fact, the sad part about the whole thing is that the return just should never, never have happened. And that is on the officials. I agree with that. But still, at the end of the day, it was the right call. And Minnesota won won the game. 
and that's it. There's nothing else to it. Yeah. That said, I'm glad it's, you know, it's probably good. Iowa's on a bye week because with their head coach still kind of not over this. And I thought, I really thought at a certain point, Kirk Ferentz would issue a statement and say, Hey, it was the right call. You know, like, let's all, let's move on to the next game. You know, we've got a big seat. We've got a lot of season ahead of us, you know, something like that. I just, I, I assumed he would make that kind of statement at some point. He has not. You would assume that, you know, because that would be the right thing to do. Um, But unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be that way. I don't know. I don't know if he thinks he'll be opening himself up then for having to defend him, his choice at uh, offensive coordinator um, and get into that conversation. That's what this is all about, about, right, John? Exactly. This is about the fact, a deflection from the fact that his son is not, has failed as an offensive coordinator and he refuses to replace him. Yep. And I think that's what Iowa fans are actually angry about. Yes, absolutely. That's what they're angry about. Yep. So I get it. I get it. Feelings can be misplaced and get pushed around in different places. But yeah, Iowa fans, you're not mad about an invalid fair catch signal that was correctly called. You're mad because Brian Ferentz is a failure as an offensive coordinator and Kirk Ferentz refuses to replace his offensive coordinator. Agreed. And on that note, let's move on to the Michigan State-Minnesota game. And let's move on, period, because I don't want to talk about it at all anymore. I don't even no, want to done. acknowledge we're it. We're done on we're that done. topic. Yep, that's it. So, all right, moving on to the Minnesota-Michigan State game. You know, what I see this, and like I was saying, you know, possibly a hangover game for Minnesota, which makes me a little nervous. But what I need to see here, obviously, like you said, the, there's a huge issue possibly with the with the running game. That makes me nervous as well with uh, possibly not having Darius Taylor. Obviously, Zach Evans. Um, if Darius comes back, how dinged up is he? Uh, it's going to be nerve-wracking, to say the least, because it's going to force Ethan to have to throw the ball. And we've seen a lot of inconsistency there, not just with him, but also our pass catchers. Um, and we're going to have to see Ethan just cook. We're going to have to see what he can do because I'm not entirely sure, you know, we can rely on our running game unless they find a way to scheme uh, uh, Tyler in there and, and do a better job of getting him on the outside and giving him some space. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what, how, what Minnesota's running game is going to look like. And Michigan state may not be necessarily, you know, fantastic at stopping the run, but they're, they're not, terrible and let's just state too that this michigan state team is not devoid of talent they have the ability to score points they can get down the field um you know i understand they didn't score any against michigan but again that's michigan so yeah we're that's in a different category yeah so i'm now exactly so i'm i'm just totally I'm not, I'm not, I'm totally disregarding the Michigan game entirely. They we've seen they can score points and move the ball. Um, defensively, you know, we'll see. I mean, if, if Darius is there and he's okay and he's somewhat healthy, I think, you know, Minnesota could still run the ball on the, on this Michigan state defense. I think they can pass the ball. Um, but we just got to see if Ethan is going to be able to show up and our wide receivers are going to be able to come down with it. It's, it's, that's a lot of ifs. So, you know, this could be a pretty close game. Um, I don't think that this is going to be running. Uh, Minnesota is going to run away with this. I do think they have the edge here. But 
I think it could be a little bit more of a nail biter than what you or I maybe want it to be. Also, we have to take into consideration that the weather is playing is might be playing a factor as well. It is going to be cold. So right now it says the high at kickoff or is going to be like 34. So there you go. So that that all things too. Yeah. So we're going to have to see here, man. I think, you know, what I need to, what I need to see and what I'm hoping for, number one, is our defense shows up and still plays the way they did against Iowa. If that defense continues to show up, I think Minnesota will lock this game down and have it in control. Yeah. Michigan State, you just can't, you can't give them hope. You got it. Uh, Minnesota has to continue to keep them in check and can't let them get ahead and can't let them score first. Minnesota has to come out, strike fast, strike first, and force Michigan State to make mistakes. That's it. Yeah, I agree. It's worth noting that Michigan uh, defensive lineman and team captain Simeon Barrow has entered the transfer portal and he's third on the team in pressures and is one of their best D linemen. So he won't be playing and that's that that impacts the game um, as well. So we should note that. And then on top of that, the Big Ten has suspended Michigan State right tackle Spencer Brown for the first half of the Minnesota game for a cheap shot he took in the Michigan game. So that's a big big deal, too, that Michigan State's down. He's their best offensive lineman by rate, uh, by I believe by pro football focus. He's their top offensive lineman. So having him out for a half, having uh, Simeon Barrow gone. You know, Sparty's having issues. Jalen Berger being out for the year with an injury. Sparty's having in some some issues, too, with their roster. Yeah. And not all of them just injuries, you know, with guys leaving. So um, I think these are two teams, John, who are who are both kind of in a bad spot right now. Uh, Michigan State because of their roster losses and losing Jalen Berger to injury. And then Minnesota because of the running back situation and not knowing if we're going to if Minnesota is going to have either their starter. I mean, they're not going to have their third string back and they might not have their first or second string back either. So that is, that makes this game hard to pick. It is. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think with, with the running back situation, the way it is, I think Minnesota is going to have to throw the ball more. And that's been a little bit of an adventure. So they're going to have to, they're (laughs) going to have to, yeah, they're going to have to have some short passes, you know, to simulate, running runs in the running game if they're not going to have you know maybe Darius plays or maybe Zach plays and this is a totally moot point but if they don't I do think Minnesota is going to have to throw the ball more than they probably want to on a cold day in dinky town yep and that's what I'm 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 worried about and not even necessarily in uh just whether or not Ethan or our wide receivers can actually you know succeed in the passing game is will PJ even let Ethan cook Will he let that or will he still be so stubborn that he is going to make he's going to try to force Sean Tyler or, you know, and or uh, Newbin and just continue to force that running game and and just keep it, you know, try to try to kill as much clock and keep it another low scoring nail biter until the end. And I just don't know if my heart can take that. Yeah, I mean, I'm worried it's going to be a nail biter as well. Um, I don't think Fleck has a if if Darius and Zach aren't playing, if one of them is playing, we're going to get a lot of running the ball. It's a cold day in Dinky Town, right? But yeah. if neither one of those guys is playing, I don't think PJ has a choice. I think he's going to have to throw the ball a lot more. Yeah. 
and he's gonna have to be creative how he does it and he's gonna have to do routes that Ethan is successful at so stop routes routes where routes where he's coming back where he's not moving hor you know he's not moving horizontal where uh receivers aren't moving horizontally as much where yeah. they're more moving vertically one way or another well and as for you know with michigan state i think they're gonna have to focus more on that as well i think minnesota's defense is going to take away the run game because i yeah. think minnesota's defense has been doing very good against taking away the run game um and you know, we're going to have to see what Hauser does and, and they have some weapons out there. They can throw the ball. Um, Marty's talented. They are, they have, I mean, they have athletes. There's no question about that for sure. So I think, you know, we're going to have to see our secondary come, come into this and play well. They're going to have to show up, man. And, uh, that's why I'm hoping to see Minnesota's defense pick up where they left off last week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Minnesota is going to have a little bit of a hangover from Iowa. I do. I think it's going to make the first half really interesting. And then I think in the second half, it's going to be the kind of nail biter that you and I were hoping to avoid. Um, John, are we ready to pick this game? Yeah, let's go. You go first. <laughs> I go first. All right. I, I think this is close throughout. I think Michigan state gets ahead early because Minnesota is a little, a little hungover from, from eating too much bacon. And I've got, Minnesota coming back in the second half, making some plays, getting a lead, and then PJ Fleck going into his shell and running the ball with the lead until the game's over. So I have Minnesota 16, Michigan State 10. Wow. That's that's amazing. Um, because I had Minnesota 16, Michigan State 9. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man, I agree. I think that it's going to be another nail biter and I hate that so much. Um, but yeah. that is what it is. That's PJ and that's what he likes to do. So that's the, I mean, that's the big 10 West. Yep. There you go. Nail biters across the board. It seems like, yep. All right. Moving on in the next game, we've got the seven and O number three ranked Ohio state Buckeyes visiting the five and two Wisconsin Badgers. This is a 6.30 PM game on NBC line is Ohio state by 14 and a half total yards. Ohio state averages 432 to Wisconsin's 397 yards allowed. Ohio state's allowing just 260 yards to Wisconsin's 334 Ohio state QB. Kyle McCord has been getting better and better. He's got over 1,900 yards passing on 64% completions, 9.4 yards per attempt, 12 TDs, and just one interception. The Buckeyes are a mess at RB due to at running back due to injuries, kind of like the Gophers are. Right now, Travion Henderson has been hurt. Mayan Williams came off of injury to play last game. Uh, Chip Trainum and Dallin Hayden are also options. At wide receiver, Marvin Harrison is quite simply the greatest player in the country. He dominated Penn State and route to Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week honors. Cade Stover at tight end also had a huge game against Penn State. Ohio State's other receivers were shut down by the Nittany Lions, but they have been prolific against everybody else. Will be interesting to see if Emeka Ogbuka plays this week. And on defense, safety Josh Proctor is having a nice year with a pick and five passes defended for the Buckeyes. For Wisconsin, 
QB Tanner Mordecai hurt his hand, so backup Frosh Braden Locke was thrust into the spotlight last game, and all he did was lead a comeback win against Illinois with three fourth-quarter scoring drives after Johnny Newton went out with a targeting with a targeting call. The Badgers might have found something in Locke, John. Yeah, it sure looks like it. Yep. And Braylon Allen is the star at running back with 704 yards on nearly six yards per rush and eight TDs. He's a weapon, and whether or not he can run will go a long way towards deciding this game. Pauling, DK, and Green are some of the top pass catchers for the Badgers. At linebacker, Jake Cheney is having a really nice year with 44 tackles. Wisconsin can move the ball and score some points when the running game works. Ohio State has pretty much shut down the running game against every team they've played. So can Wisconsin run the ball? If so, the Buckeyes could be on upset alert. If not, it could be a really long day for Wisconsin. So what do you think about that, John? How are you seeing this game? And do you think ultimately Wisconsin can run the ball against the Buckeyes? Um, well, first of all, I just want to say, you know, when it comes to Locke, like that's what it looks like when you let a young quarterback do, you know, just be able to do his thing and allow him to throw some balls and and see what happens. And I envy that. Um, I'd like to see that. Um, sorry to go back to Minnesota, but I'd like to see that a little bit more, PJ. Um, anyway, uh, look at he looked great. And, and you know, Wisconsin, you know, should be really excited about that. Having that that's the future of your program right there. And that's yeah. wonderful for them. Absolutely. So, you know, that was encouraging to see, you know, they're going to need it. They're going to need everything they got against this Ohio State defense. Um, and it's going to be tough, man. I I I do. I'm interested to see how well Allen can run against this defense. Um, you know, we did see uh, in the last game, like you mentioned, um, uh, Singleton be able to run, you know, somewhat against them and, and the, the Ohio State defense and, and yes. find some success. So, and obviously, this is what Wisconsin does. They run the ball. So, do what you do well. Um, you have a quarterback that can throw well enough in times and, and hopefully, you know, he can be able to get that out there and be able to keep it a little bit more balanced. But if the run game is working, can just stick with it, man, you know, and you might have a shot. Uh, you know, I do think Ohio State's defense is absolutely elite. I don't know if you're going to be able to keep that up all game long. I also, again, we've talked about this and touched on whether or not, you know, Braylon Allen getting as many touches as he's getting throughout each game, if that's going to wear on him and his health, we've seen that happen in the past and then force lock to have to be, to throw the ball. Um, so, you know, and everybody, you know, and as we've talked about with, you know, Ohio state's offense. Yeah, man. I mean, like I don't see uh, Wisconsin's defense being able to, to hold that passing game back. I, I don't think that they're going to have a shot. I think uh, Ohio state's passing game is just going to be able to do more or less eventually, um, you know, it, by, at least by the second half, be able to do pretty much whatever they want. They just have too many weapons. They're just too, uh, they're, it's elite. Um, so I don't know what else to say when it comes to that. Um, but you know, we'll see if, uh, you know, I think they'll really be done for, unfortunately, maybe earlier on if, uh, Ohio state does get some health back at the running back position and they're able to run the ball on them. So it's a scary game for Wisconsin. They could find some success running the ball for a while. Um, Locke may be able to, to, uh, you know, throw in some, you know, get some good passes in there and maybe get a scoring drive at some point in time. But I just think uh, this Ohio State team is just it's just too good. Yeah, I I have my question. So my next question is, 
how does Kyle McCord play? He's been much maligned, even though all he does is win. However, Buckeye fans want to see him hit some of the open receivers he's missing. That's fair. I personally think McCord is really good. And further, Ohio State fans, I think you were really spoiled by C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields. Yeah. Kyle McCord is what a really good college quarterback looks like. And the fact that you guys are pulling your hair out and and at his performance just shows that you've been real spoiled. So Kyle McCord's really good. I, I wouldn't be worried about him at all. He's and he seems to be getting better and better as the season goes on. If you don't want him, I I we have a place that he would be welcome. We have a spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. If he wanted to, if he wanted to come, I think PJ would take that call. Yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, my next question: How does Locke look against this elite OSU defense? Can he get the ball to his playmakers like he did last week during the big fourth quarter comeback? Or is it going to look more like it did the other three quarters when he when he struggled a lot more? Mm-hmm. Um, how healthy is Ohio State? Is Henderson back? Can Ohio State run the ball if Henderson isn't back? So here's what I think about this game, John. I think Ohio State's an elite team. Their resume is unmatched with the big wins over Penn State and Notre Dame. Is Ohio State hungry this week? Or will they rest on their laurels and phone it in after a masterful effort against Penn State? I think this game is close for a half. It's in Camp Randall. Plus, I think Ohio State's hungover from the Penn State victory. So I think they come out of the gate really slow. Wisconsin is a capable team. And I think they really push Ohio State for a while. Eventually, though, nobody can stop Marvin Harrison and Cade Stover. And eventually, Kyle McCord will get those guys the ball enough to pull away. So that's what I think. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's a fair assessment. All right, should we pick it? Yeah, let's go. All right, I have got the Ohio State Buckeyes 35, the Wisconsin Badgers 13. Like I said, I think Wisconsin scores in the first half, but I think after halftime, the Buckeyes are going to shut the door and run away. Okay, well, I I agree. I think the first half could be a little closer um, and Wisconsin may be able to get that running game and maybe Braylon Allen pulls out a, a, a long TD run as he tends to do. Um, and I could see Wisconsin. Um, I think they're, I, I think it's going to be Wisconsin 13, but Ohio state 42. Ooh, four. Okay. So you got a little higher scoring. Yeah, I just think Ohio State, like you said, man, they're in that really second good. Half, they're, they're gonna really just, good. they're gonna figure it out, and Wisconsin's defense is not gonna be able to hang. It's just not against that passing game. And that's not a knock on you, Badgers. No, I don't think, I don't think other than Michigan, I, like Penn State, couldn't even really hang with Ohio State. Yeah, so and, they're just that's yeah. Ohio that's exactly State and Michigan are in a class by themselves at this point. Exactly. This would be this would go for pretty much anyone else. So, yeah, don't take it personally, Badger fans. Yes, absolutely. All right, John, I think we made it through the games. We did. All right. It's going to be a pretty short week, actually. Only five yeah, games, five games. This is the this is the fewest amount of games all year. All right. Well, I look forward to watching them all and, uh, you know, just being able to sit on my couch one last time before I head out and I'm, I'll be working and I'll be on the road a lot. So 
uh, I think we'll do one more review pod where I'll be here and then uh, you and I have to figure out a, a different schedule. So please bear with us. Um, yes. everybody. We will get it done. We'll, we'll, we'll figure this out and we'll make it happen. But there may be some changes, at least when we release it or, you know, who's doing what. So <clears throat> but we'll figure it out and uh, you'll be we'll keep keeping you up to date. Nevertheless, so. Um, but to end this, if you want to find us again, um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, as I said before, uh, Twitter at We Live for B1G Sat. That's at We Live for B1G Sat. And again, email us, please. We'd love to have your questions. Um, it can be related to anything college football, Big Ten, um, would or be the wider be- world. Or the wider world. We're interested in the rest of college football too. So if you have a, if you're you have, you have a burning question about florida and graham mertz and why he's been so good there hit us up <laughs> yes that's exactly that was the first question that came to my mind um <laughs> that was off the top of my head just <laughs> into my head right away uh or if you just want to bash the sec with us we're totally cool with that yeah. too we love that um absolutely so email us. having a down year out there <laughs> yeah. email us we live for saturday b1g at gmail.com All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening as always. It's a pleasure. Really excited to come back this weekend and talk about this week's slate of games. And I am your co-host, Mike. And co-host, John, what do you have to say? Thanks for joining us. Talk to you soon. All right. Take it easy, everybody. We'll see you soon here.